I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless this noble community, this noble masjid. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless this gathering and make it one of great benefit for all of us in this life as well as in the hereafter. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for any shortcomings and make that which we study a proof for us and not a proof against us. Indeed, this, this topic or the theme of the conference, the explanation of Kitab al-Jami' from Bulugh al-Maram, it is major because of the different topics that are covered uh, in this book or in, um, from Bulugh al-Maram. For Kitab al-Jami' and I'm sure one of our brothers have previously just mentioned this, but it has the chapter of Al-Adab. It has the chapter of Al-Bir wa Sila. You have the chapter of Al-Zuhud wa Wara. You have the chapter of Al-Tarheeb min Masawi Al-Akhlaq. You have the chapter of Wa alaykum salam rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You have the chapter of At-Targheeb fi Makarim al-Akhlaq And then you have the chapter of Al-Dhikr wa dua And if you look at the narrations that Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar Al-Asqalani he brings in these different chapters You see that these matters are related to the everyday life of the Muslim These matters are connected to the everyday life of the Muslim and without a doubt, our practice of Islam is an everyday thing. Our practice of Islam is not seasonal. Our practice of Islam is not restricted to a, a specific place or a location on the earth, whether a masjid or a noble place like Mecca or Medina. Our practice of Islam is like the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam advised Mu'ad ibn Jabal with when he sent him to Yemen and he said, Fear Allah wherever you may be. That which I'm responsible for covering is the chapter of At-Targheeb Fi Makarim Al-Akhlaq. And our noble brother and elder, I mean, Mani Hafidahullah, he covered the first narration of this chapter. And he has done a, well, a great job mentioning the aqwal of Ahlul Ilm 
from the noble scholar and Sheikh and Alama Muhammad bin Salih al Uthaymi. May Allah have mercy upon him in the speech of Sheikh Salih Fawzan as well as the speech of our noble Sheikh Rabi' Hafidahum Allah and him and Sheikh Salih. And subhanAllah will be hamdi when you think about having good character. Being truthful is at the head of good character. Being truthful is at the head of good character. Prior to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam becoming the prophet and messenger, he was known as one who was truthful and he was known as one who was trustworthy. This is even before he became the prophet. And had he not been a man who was truthful, he would not have been one who is suitable to carry the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Go back to the story of Heraclius when he was questioning Abu Sufyan. And this was before Abu Sufyan radiallahu an had accepted Islam. And this was during the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. And they were in the Sham area and the Prophet he sent a letter to Heraclius calling him to Islam. But one of the things that Heraclius, he questioned Abu Sufyan, was he known to lie prior to claiming that he is uh, a prophet and messenger from Allah? And Abu Sufyan said no. He was not known to lie prior. And later on, Heraclius clarified why he asked that question. And he mentioned, and I'm paraphrasing, that when he asked, was he known to lie prior to his claim, and the answer was no, then he could not fathom that a person who did not lie on the people will come now and lie upon Allah. And one of the people that Imam Malik rahimahullah ta'ala said that we do not take knowledge from is a person who lies in his speech about the people. Or concerning the people So if the Prophet ﷺ Was known to be a liar Prior to the claim Of being the Prophet and Messenger Then that would have disqualified him automatically Because it could be said You're known to lie You lied on this occasion You lied on that occasion You lied about this You lied about that How do we know that, we, how do we know that you're not lying About you claiming to be a Prophet and Messenger And from the narration that our brother, he covered, it shows that lying is a major sin in Islam. Because the Prophet mentioned that it leads to corruption and corruption leads to the hellfire. So from the benefits of the narration that our brother, he covered, the encouragement of being truthful. And this is being truthful in our speech when we speak about the deen or when we speak about affairs other than the deen. And the greatest category of lying is to lie upon Allah. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِنْ مَنْ And who is more oppressive and wrongdoing than the one who invents the lie upon Allah? A person who speaks about the deen without knowledge falls under the category of lying upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
those who make up rules and regulations and the deen that says this is from the Quran and and it's not from the book of Allah, this is a lie upon Allah and this person is the most oppressive of the people. Secondly, lying on the Prophet The Prophet mentioned Whoever lies upon me intentionally, let him take his seat in the hellfire. Another wording, Whoever lies upon me, without the word intentionally. And from this you find Sahaba, they were hesitant to narrate on the Prophet out of fear of falling into a mistake in their narration and then it be considered lying upon Allah, I mean upon the Messenger of Allah وسلم, although it wasn't intentional. So whoever lies upon the Prophet وسلم, then this is the greatest or the second greatest type of lie that can be told after lying upon Allah. Thirdly, lying upon Ahlul Ilm. And Sheikh Salih Fawzan, he mentions in his explanation of uh, Kitab al-Kaba'ir, these three. The first, I mean the worst of the lies is to lie upon Allah. Secondly, to lie upon the Messenger of Allah. And thirdly, to lie upon Ahlul And it's unfortunate that we find people today take liberties to lie upon Ahlul To put a false narrative out there that the Shaykh said this, or this is the position of the Shaykh. And the Shaykh is not even aware of what these individuals are saying or Presenting that this is his position But this also shows The evil of Ahl al-Bidah Because they are the main ones Who lie upon Allah and his messenger Ahl al-Bidah Ahl al-Bidah They make up affairs in the deen That Allah he has sent no sultan down for As Allah he says Allahu adina lakum Am'ala Allahi taftarun did Allah give you permission for that or are you inventing a lie upon Allah? Ahl al-Bidah, they are people who invent lies upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ahl al-Sunnah, we don't invent lies upon Allah. Because the foundation of the people of the Sunnah is al-Kitab al-Natiq wa-Sunnatul Madiyah wa-Sabilu Salaf. As mentioned, the, the eloquent book in the Quran, the old Sunnah, in the way of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, or as the scholars say, Al Kitab Al Munazzal, the book that has been sent down, Wan Nabiyul Mursal, and the Prophet who has been sent was Sabiru Salaf, in the way of the, the Salaf. There's no kendib in these three affairs. There's no lie in the book of Allah, there's no lie in the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and there's no lie in that which the Sahaba were upon radiallahu From the benefits of this narration, the warning against lying. And that lying is from the major sense. Also from the benefits of this narration, the reward for good is good. Because the Prophet said, truthfulness leads to righteousness and righteousness leads to the hellfire. 
And likewise, the reward for evil is evil. Lying leads to corruption, and corruption leads to the hellfire. Also, something that may be looked at as being insignificant can lead a person to punishment in the hellfire. So we have to be mindful of all sin, but especially when the prophet is connecting hellfire to something. And you have the people that say, oh, that's a, 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 a white lie. So the white lie is from the Sagha'ir and the black lie is from the Kaba'ir. All lying is wrong. In Islam, we don't have this, the little white lies and then the big black lies. Well, lying itself is evil, except in those cases the Prophet ﷺ told us a man speaking to his wife, wife speaking to her husband. And as the ulama say, this is in those matters that do not violate any of the rights in times of war or bringing harmony between the people. These are exceptions to the rule. But if a person passes a ruling on his brother, saying that he is a deviant and the person is from the people of the Sunnah, saying that he is a fitna maker because the person has disagreed with an individual on the matter. This is slander. And this falls under the category of lying. And to say something about a movement that is not true, as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, مَنْ قَالَ فِي الْمُؤْمِنِ مَا لَيْسَ فِيهِ أَدْخَلَهُ اللَّهُ وَأَسْكَنَهُ اللَّهُ رَدْخَطَ لِخَبَالِ Whoever says about the believer that which is not true about him, Allah will cause that individual to live in the pus of the people of the hellfire. Be careful when it comes to the things you say. From the benefits of this narration, righteous actions cause a person to enter into the paradise, meaning put the person in a position to receive the mercy of Allah to enter into the paradise. Another point, Barakallahu Fikum, a person should strive to be from amongst the truthful. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, Ya ayyuhalladina amanu taqullaha wa kulu ma'as sadiqeen. O you who believe, fear Allah and be with those who are truthful. And this is the evidence or proof that it is not allowed for us to be with people who are liars. <coughs> is not allowed to have companionship with people who are known to be liars. You have to be with the truthful as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded and this is from the taqwa of Allah. The next narration in the chapter عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عن أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إياكم والظن فَإِنَّ الظَّنَّ أَكْذَبُ الْحَدِيثِ Beware of lying or excuse me, beware of suspicion for indeed suspicion is the most lying of speech. 
This statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Beware of suspicion Beware of dhan Yani dhan here means like evil suspicion And the word of dhan has different meanings And there are different categories of dhan You have husnul dhan And you have su'u dhan You have good thoughts or good suspicion And then you have evil suspicion And sometimes the word dhan comes with the meaning of that which a person believes but this is not the time to go deep into that the narration is in, in reference to evil suspicion evil suspicion regarding righteous people as the ulama they mention people who are known for corruption people who are known to be evil people who are known to lie it is allowed to have bad suspicion about those type of people based upon what is known of them. As for people of who are known for righteousness, people who are known to have a sound practice of Islam, sound minhaj and the likes, it is not permissible to just have evil suspicion about them. And the scholars, they say, if something... They losing or winning? Huh? Which one? They lose. They losing? All of that to see that they losing. Huh? Could have waited to get home for that one, oh, boy. <laughs> so the people of righteousness, we should have good opinions about them. As an example, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and the Sahaba. Never should we have evil thoughts about them, especially the Prophet as he's the best of mankind. But after them, the Sahaba, because these are individuals that Allah he has praised them and established their righteousness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. So this shows you the evils of the likes of the, the Rafidah and the Shia. Those who have sultan of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu And you see why, like when things come about where a Sahaba may have fallen into something, you see the scholars always trying to put the best narrative on what happened. Because these are people of righteousness, these are not people who... Uh, are intentionally trying to be upon evil and the misguidance and opposing the, in the Kitab and the Sunnah. And this is how we deal with the righteous. And at the head of them, the ulama. A person may see or hear a slip from a scholar, try to put the best construction on it. And this is dealing with the ulama of the past and the present. That the scholars are not intending to oppose the truth. This is why the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned That if a judge or a scholar he strives to pass a ruling And he is correct he gets two rewards And 
And if he strives to make a ruling and he's incorrect, he still gets one reward, meaning for his efforts. Because he's striving, he's trying to do what's right. So you have a good opinion. Look how the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us to have good. And husnul bil ulama. Unless it is clear that a scholar has gone astray. He's opposing the evidences, he's been advised, he's been refuted with knowledge-based refutation, and he rejects all, and he's choosing a way of deviance, then that's something different. But it's strange how you find individuals, they're quick to give their homeboy husnul dhan, but the scholar gets su'ul dhan. And they know their homeboy, they know their man. And they know he's not noble, but yet he gets personal done. But the alim who has spent years and decades studying the deen and sacrificing for the Muslim ummah and the likes, evil is thought about him. So the Prophet is warning us against having evil thoughts about Muslims without justification. As Allah he mentions in the Quran, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu jist... Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu jitaybu kathira min al-dhan inna ba'da al-dhani ithm. All you who believe, stay away from a lot of suspicion. Indeed, some suspicion is a sin. The scholars, they say, if the person stays away from a lot of suspicion, he won't fall into some suspicion. So we have to be careful because it is from the ways of the shaitan to make people have sultan about one another without justification and right. And by way of that, he breaks up the brotherhood. He causes enmity and hatred between the brotherhood based upon sultan. And there is no justification for it. And when a person has sultan, this will lead a person to spying. And when a person goes to spying and he finds something out, this leads him to backbiting. Like in, that, in the ayah in Surah Al-Hujurat. You, you have the prohibition of suspicion, the prohibition of spying, the prohibition of backbiting. Because one leads to another. You think bad about your brother, you may start looking for faults. You find something out, now you're falling into backbiting. I encourage the brothers and the sisters and those listening, study Surah Al-Hujurat. As the scholars, they mention, in Surah Al-Hujurat, you have the ahkam that are in place for the preservation of the community, for the preservation of the relationships between the Muslims. And this hadith here is from, is from those texts that are in place to preserve the Muslim brotherhood and sisterhood. And even husband and wife, parent and child. We should not have evil suspicion of one another when there is no justification. If a husband has evil suspicion of his wife, a wife has evil suspicion of her husband, how long do you think the marriage is going to last? Before the husband pronounces divorce and the wife or the wife asks for a khula. 
because the suspicion is there, it's heavy, and it's not uh, bringing about ease in the hearts of the couple. And then people may say things based upon that evil suspicion that's not even true. And then now the one who's falsely being accused, you know, now has a position of dislike against the one who is doing the accusing falsely. And again, all of this is from the works of the shaitan. And the same thing when it comes to relationships between brothers and brothers, the shaitan is spitting and putting an evil suspicion there. Rather, we are taught that if we see something from our brother, try to make an excuse for him. Try to say perhaps, like the narration with Hatib ibn Abi Balta'a. He sent a letter to be taken to the Quraysh to inform them of what the Prophet was planning of invading Mecca. And Allah revealed it to him and the Prophet sent Ali and another companion to retrieve the letter. When it came back, the letter, they came back with the letter. The Prophet who said, Ya Hatib, ma hamalaka ala hada. Hatib, what made you do this? Umar was ready to just let me cut his neck off. This is treason. Munafiq. Hypocrite. Let me cut his head off. But the Prophet, he said, ma hamalaka ala hada. What caused you to do this? You may see something from your brother that is out of pocket, but don't be so hasty to pass judgment. Take the example of the Prophet and ask your brother that you know good of. Because the Prophet knows good of Hatib. He was one of the people who participated in Badr. And there were no Munafiqeen who participated in Badr. And this is also what the Prophet mentioned to Ummah. What will make you know that Allah looked at the people of Badr and told them, do whatever you wish, I have forgiven you. So he asked Hatib, Ma hamalaka ala hada? What caused you to do this? And then Hatib he mentioned his excuse. From the benefits of this hadith, the warning against evil suspicion and bad suspicion. We should not have su'udhan billah nor with the Salihin. The scholars say the warning against evil suspicion without an evidence. Those who we have evidence that these people are people of evil, there's nothing wrong with having evil suspicion about them because of what they have shown and proven from their lies and behavior and the likes. The next narration عن أبي سعيد الخضري رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إياكم والجلوس على الطرقات قالوا يا رسول الله ما لنا بد من مجالسنا نتحدث فيها قال فأما إذا أبيتم 
فَأَعْطُوا الْطَرِيقُ حَقَّهُ قَالُوا وَمَا حَقُّهُ قَالْ غَضُّ الْبَصَرُ وَكَفُّ الْأَذَى وَرَدُّ السَّلَامُ وَالْأَمْرُ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَالنَّهْيُ عَنِ الْمُنْقَارِ Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhi mentions that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said beware of sitting in the pathways So the Sahaba, they said, O Messenger of Allah, like, we must sit there in order to have our gatherings and to speak with one another. So the Prophet said, well, if you must, then give the pathway its right. They said, what is the right of the pathway? The Prophet said, lowering the gaze, repelling harm from the people, returning the salams, Enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. This narration establishes number one the beauty of Islam, and that Islam is a complete way of life, and the rules and regulations of Islam are just and fair, and the rules and regulations of Islam ensure the protection of the rights of the people. The Prophet said, Iyakum, and this statement, Iyakum here, meaning a warning. Beware of sitting in the roadways, meaning the pathways where the people have to walk and pass by, both men and women. And the reason why the Prophet warned against this so that one doesn't harm the people as they pass by or one doesn't become aware of something that people don't want others to become aware of from the people's private affairs and other than that also a protection for the people to not fall into fitna You think about it. How many times individuals have gotten to trouble have gotten into trouble just from hanging out on the corners? And we know many stories, whether our own or the stories of others, or both. The troubles of hanging out on the street corners, especially in the eighties and the nineties. So the Prophet from his sunnah is to warn the Muslims against the evil that he knows and to encourage and direct the Muslims to the good of that which he knows. Here the Prophet is warning against an evil. Because you have passing on the pathways, the old, the young, the men, the women, the rich, the poor, the good, the bad, and other than that. So to protect oneself from falling into any fitna, it is best that a person does not sit in the pathways.
But the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een, they mentioned on Messenger of Allah, like we, we have to sit there. Like where are we going to go when we need to gather and sit and, you know, speak to one another like, and we're meeting here. There's really like no other way except like in these places where we do gather outside. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, if it's a must, if you have to, then follow these rules. And this shows, Barakallahu Fikum, the principle, probably one of the proofs for the principle, Al Mashaqqa Tajribu Taysir. Because now, it's difficult for them to gather in other places. So a rule comes to remove the difficulty and now, okay, if you're going to do this and this, is, this these are the rules you have to follow in order to do your gatherings and speak and meet with one another. So the first rule that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned because they asked, but the Prophet said, if you're going to do it, they give the rule its rights. The deen of Islam is the deen of hukuk. It is the religion that preserves the rights. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned five rights. Number one, lowering the gaze. Lowering the gaze. This is the first right. And SubhanAllah wa bihamdi, and your brothers can correct me if I'm wrong, one of the reasons why many of us used to hang out on corners is to check out the girls. <laughs> was to check the girlies out, especially when, you know, they letting out of school and stuff like that. You know, are we going up to this high school? We're going to chill out on the corner. Yeah, for the evil, for the haram. The prophet said, lower the gates. Well, now you see how Islam is suitable for all times and all peoples and in all places. As Allah mentions, And say to the believing men, lower their gazes and preserve their private parts. Because the eyes, as Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim mentioned, the eyes are the windows to the heart. When you look at something, it will lead to you desiring. So to close the door to zina, lower your gaze. Lowering the gaze is legislated to prevent zina. That's one of the benefits of the Allah legislating that men and women have to lower their gaze. But when a person doesn't lower the gaze and he looks at that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram, this is zina of the eyes. This is a lesser form of zina. Zina of the eyes. And every human being has their portion of zina. Whether zina of the eyes or zina of the tongue, zina of the hand, Zina of the ears, Zina of the feet. 
And then the private parts either confirm or deny. So we must do our best to close the door to that which leads to the greater zina. Lower the gaze. An advice that was given to me by Sheikh Abdul Razak Al-Badr Hafidhullah This was in 2016 during Hajj And may Allah bless the brothers here in this community because they are the ones who made it possible for me after the Fadl of Allah to make Hajj that year Sheikh uh, Dr. Ibrahim Al-Muhaymeed He had us as his guest in Mina Up in the Buruj He had like these towers That's right over Mina Where the tents are at Then there's these towers up there Like big hotels And alhamdulillah myself And some other students The Sheikh uh, Allowed us to come in And We were uh, guests there and may Allah as a wajal reward uh, Sheikh Osama Al-Tabi because he facilitated us for, to get in there and then uh, Sheikh Muhammad told the God leave these brothers alone you see these brothers come in you let them come in let them get anything they want and mashallah was a beautiful gathering there the Mashaykh the many Mashaykh the, the room that myself uh, brother Ilyas was in Abu Muslim al-Hambali, he was there, and some other brothers. We were in the room where Sheikh Muhammad ibn Ali ibn Adam Ethiopi was in the room, may Allah subhanahu preserve him. And there was some other mashaykh. But next door to us was Sheikh Abdul Razak and his father, Sheikh Abdul Mursan, Hafidhullah. On the day we was leaving for Mina, I seen the Sheikh in the hallway, so I said, Sheikh, I'm, we're getting ready to go back to America soon. Do you have any advice for me? So the Sheikh, he paused. And then he said, um, you see these cameras? I said, yes. He said, like, how would a person act knowing that the camera, I said, he's going to be careful. He said, you have to be like this and know that Allah is always watching you. And then he said, don't go to the marketplaces or the malls except during a time when nobody is really there. Meaning so that you can protect yourself so you don't have to be falling into looking at the woman. And subhanAllah bihamdi, you know, that advice is so suitable for being here in America in the lands of the West. Especially in the summertime when it's summer madness. You know, the women are naked. The fawahish is widespread. The fitna widespread and the likes. So we have to be mindful and protect our souls and protect our deen from that which will harm it. And this is from those advices of the Prophet. Lower your gaze. Lower your gaze. And then the Prophet mentioned the second right, kaful other. Refrain from harming the people, meaning the people who are passing by. And sometimes brothers and sisters 
after Jumu'ah, we're outside and we're congregating, but we're blocking the street. This is wrong. We as Muslims move to an area where the people can pass by freely. Because if we congregate and take up the whole street and we're forcing people to walk into the actual street when we're taking up the sidewalk, move to the side and congregate. Don't block the way of the people. For this is harm of the people and this goes against the fulfillment of the haq of the tariq. So we should not harm the people either physically, nor should we harm the people with our speech. And what was one of the things we used to do when we used to hang out on the corners? We snap it on people as they walk by. You know it. You know that's what we used to do. Yeah, look at his clothes. Look at this. Look at anytime somebody walked by, we got something to say about them. It goes against Islam, right? Yo, look at Cuddy over there. Yo, oh man, look at oh, everybody laughing, right? Until somebody come back and start shooting. Ain't nobody laughing no more. <laughs> but we used to do that, throwing stuff at people. Person walk through the block, we don't recognize the person. Yo, yo, who that? Throw something at them. Chasing the person off the block. The stuff we used to do. All of this is haram. Against the hukuk of the tariq. The Prophet said, kaful adha. You don't harm people as they're passing by. Not by your actions, nor by your speech. Look what Sheikh Saudi Fozan says. فَالَّذِي يَضْحَقْ عَلَى النَّاسِ أَوْ يَسْتَهَزِي بِهِمْ أَوْ يَسْخَرْ مِنَ الْمَارَةِ فِعْلُهُ هَذَا أَيْضًا مِنْ أَعْلَمِ الْأَذَى as if Sheikh Saleh Fozad was right here in the hood with us Watching us snapping on people and doing stuff as they walk by Is this not what we used to do? The one who laughs at the people or makes mockery of them Or belittles the one who is passing by This action of his also is from the greatest of the harms of the one who is passing by Look at the beauty of Islam and this also is a refutation against those people who say, oh, the scholars don't know what's going on in our lands. And This revelation is from Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah knows what's going on. So even if the sheikh doesn't live in a specific land, the rules and regulations are still applicable for that. So let's just say this never took place. Sheikh Saleh Fozan never seen no one in Riyadh do this. But he understands the text. He understands the text. He understands the implications of the rights of the road. So he mentions this. And then from another angle, people are people. And it's the same shaitan that is inciting people. Go in the back over here. Come, come. And it's the same shaitan that's inciting the people. And also, how easy it is for someone from a land to say, Sheikh, this is what takes place in our country. Now the Sheikh is informed. And he applies the applicable ruling to the situation. 
But as we know, this is a plot and a ploy to disconnect the people from the scholars of Islam. The third haq, raddu salam. Return the greetings. If a Muslim passes by and gives the salam, it is obligatory to respond to the salam. Initiating the salams is recommended, but responding to the salam is obligatory. As the Sheikh he says in Sheikh Saad al Fawzad, Al Bada'a bis salam sunnah wa radduhu wajib. The initiation of the salam is sunnah, is recommended. And responding to the salam is obligatory. As Allah he mentions, wa ida huyyitum bi tahiyyatan fahayyu bi ahsana minha aw rudduha. And if you are greedy with a greeting, then greet with one that is better than it, or at the least respond to it as it is. Indeed, Allah is the reckoner of all things. So at the least, if someone says to you, Assalamu alaikum, you say, Wa alaikum assalam. If someone says to you, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, you say at the least wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. And if someone says to you assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, you have to respond wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The fourth and fifth matter, al amr bil ma'roof wa nahiyan al-munkar. Enjoined in the good and forbidden the evil. But understand that Al-Amr bin Ma'roof wa Nahi Al-Munkar has conditions. Number one, Al-Ilm bin Ma'roof wa Al-Munkar. Yani Shara'an. Having knowledge of what is good and knowledge of what is evil according to the legislation. Not according to the code of the streets. You find Muslims, unfortunately, who come from that background, they still carry these, these affairs of jahiliyyah with them into the deen. And when you see how they judge, they judging things according to the rules and regulations or the quote-unquote code of the streets. The code of the streets is hit and miss, and most of the time miss. But the legislation of Allah is always correct. Likewise, the culture. The culture of a person, it can be right, it can be wrong. But the legislation of Allah is always right. As Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, If you differ in anything, then refer it back to Allah and the Messenger. The ulama, they say, the reason why Allah commands us to refer things back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, because in the Qur'an and the Sunnah is the solution for all problems. So the first condition of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, that one must have knowledge of that which is good and that which is evil according to the legislation. Number two, before you command someone with good, be sure that the person has abandoned doing, doing the good. And before you forbid someone from that which is evil, be, make, make sure that the person hasn't actually indulged in something evil. 
And this is a beautiful point mentioned by Sheikh Muhammad bin Salih Ruthaymeen, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, his explanation of Riyadh al-Salihin. And he gave the example that one of the companions came into the masjid for uh, the khutbah al Jumu'ah and he sat down. The Prophet asked him, did you pray? And he said, no, and the Prophet said, stand up and pray. He said, because it's possible he could have prayed in another part of the masjid and the Prophet didn't see him. And as an Aqidah point on the side This hadith is a proof that the Prophet doesn't know the unseen Because we're people of the Sunnah We teach Aqidah and everything, right? Just make sure <laughs> But Shaykh Uthaymeen, he mentioned this beautiful point Because sometimes you have individuals they, you know, they think someone has done something wrong And they didn't do anything wrong And here it is, they're Forbidding the wrong with the person And the person didn't fall into any wrong Or the opposite And the third condition Is that when enjoying the good And forbidding the evil It should not lead to a greater harm And this goes Or comes from the narration Man ra'a minkum munkara Fal yugayyirhu biyadihi Fa in lam yastati' fa bi lisanihi Fa in lam yastati' fa bi qalbihi Wa thalika adha'afu al-iman that whoever from amongst you sees an evil, then let him change it with his hands. And if he's not able to, then with his tongue. And if he's not able to, then with his heart. And that is the weakest of faith. Meaning from the three matters. And not necessarily that the person is a weak believer. People misunderstand this hadith. The weakest of faith, meaning the weakest from the three levels here. Changing it with the hand, changing it with the tongue, changing it with the heart, or hating it in the heart. Hating it in the heart is the weakest of the three. But a person may be a strong believer, but not in a position to change it with his hands because it will lead to a greater harm. From the benefits of this narration, the dislike of people sitting in the pathways. From the benefits of this narration, some of the scholars they hold that the statement when the prophet says something like this uh, the intent is to show dislike and if it was actually something prohibited then the sahaba would not have said oh messenger of Allah but this but other scholars they say no rather the reason why the sahaba said this is because they understood that the Prophet was prohibiting this matter and they said but we have no other place basically to go so once the, they mentioned the excuse of why they do this then the Prophet وسلم, made an exception to the rule another benefit the permissibility of Bringing something to the attention of the scholar after the scholar has passed the ruling. Giving the scholar extra information or giving the scholar an excuse as to why something is being done. And this is not considered to be disrespect of the scholar. So how much more so for a student of knowledge or an imam? You have some students of knowledge or a imma or du'a, they don't want nobody questioning them 
or nobody presenting anything. And if it is, then now you're being disrespectful to the noble brother or such and such and such and such. And we all know examples of this type of behavior. The Prophet Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And at the same time, in a respectful manner, the Sahaba said, but O Messenger of Allah, this is our situation. And we don't find the Prophet said, do you know who I am? I preceded you and this and that. I was the first Muslim from this Ummah. Like you find people making statements saying, oh, I preceded you in Dawah. I preceded you in M. Don't, like, how dare you basically speak back in all of this stuff. Come on. Another benefit from this narration, the obligation of lowering the gaze and the pathway and the obligation of repelling harm for people and the obligation of returning the salams and the obligation of enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. And subhanAllah, how many times individuals hanging out on the corner and they say they see evil taking place and they can stop it, but they watch it. And in, in this day and time, evil taking place, first thing people do, pull out their phone. Right? Because everything is entertainment. Oh, my God. 
خونش تن بذاره که میتونه Okay, the next narration Al-Mu'awiyah radiyallahu an qala qala rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam man yudrillahu bihi khayran yufaqihu fiddin whoever Allah wants good for he gives them understanding in the religion what is the benefit of Al-Hafidh Ibn Hajar bringing this narration in a chapter of dealing with good character from the best that a person can adorn himself with is legislated knowledge of the deed and when a person has true understanding of the deen then this is not restricted to just what a person knows and understands but it also shows in his character because a person of understanding he practices what he knows a person who has knowledge but doesn't practice he's still jahil a person who has knowledge and he doesn't practice what he knows, he is still considered to be jahil. And as some of the salat they said, that the alim, or a person is not considered an alim until they practice that which they know. Here this narration establishes the irada of Allah because the prophet said whoever Allah wants so Allah has an irada and this is a refutation against the Jahmiyyah, the Mu'tazila and the other groups of deviants who deny the attributes of Allah here the prophet mentions whoever Allah wants and as Allah mentions in the Quran يُرِيدُ اللَّهِ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرِ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرِ Allah, He wants for you, ease and He doesn't want hardship for you. The second matter, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who gives the individual the success to have understanding in the deen. And fiqh here means correct understanding, in depth understanding. That a person understands the deen the way that the Prophet and the Sahaba understood. If a person's understanding of the deen opposes what Allah intends in the Quran and what the Messenger intended in the Sunnah, this is a sign that Allah has not wanted good for the individual. Also, this narration establishes that there are people who don't have correct understanding in the deen. So just because a person has accepted Islam and is a Muslim, doesn't automatically mean that the person has understanding of the deen. Another point 
This hadith establishes the virtues of the legislated knowledge and that a person adorns himself with the characteristics of the legislative knowledge, then this is the best of the characteristics. As when our mother Aisha radiallahu anha was asked about the character of the Quran, I mean the character of the Messenger sallallahu she said, Kana al Quran. She said his character was that of the Quran. Next narration. The Messenger said there's nothing heavier upon the scales than good character. This hadith establishes, number one, the virtues of good character. And of course, the Prophet is the best when it comes to his character, as Allah mentions, And indeed, you, meaning you, are Muhammad, وسلم, you are upon exalted character. And for this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, That indeed, you have in the Messenger of Allah a beautiful example. So the more. We pattern ourselves after the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in speech and actions and in our dealings with the people, the heavier our scales will be of good on the Day of Judgment. This narration also establishes a point from our creed that the deeds will be weighed on the Day of Judgment. Three things are weighed. Your deeds, the scrolls in which your deeds are written upon, and then the individual himself, the person. No. Remember they laughed at uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud, I believe it was, because he had like bony legs. And they start laughing. So the Prophet said to them, what are you laughing at? Indeed, these legs are heavy upon the scales than the mountain of Uhud. From the benefits of this narration, the virtues of good character. And there is a magnificent reward for having good character. From the virtues of this narration, the establishment of the Mizan, and that these will be weighed on the Day of Judgment. From the virtues of this narration, that the people are on different levels of goodness. Some people, their scales will be heavier than others due to their good being more than others. And this is a refutation against the Murjiyah who believe that everybody's Iman is the same. That the Iman of the criminal is similar to the Iman of Abu Bakr The Prophet وسلم, is showing here that there are deeds that are heavier than others. And this is from Iman. So this shows that there are matters of Iman that are greater than other matters of Iman. And Iman is not just one affair. The next narration, An Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, قال, قال Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al-haya min al-Iman. Abdullah ibn Umar, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, he said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that shyness is from faith. Any shyness is a branch of faith, as the Prophet mentioned. Wal haya min al iman, 
and shyness is a branch of faith. And this hadith is another proof and refutation against the murjia, as well as the khawarij too, because one thing that the khawarij, the mu'tazila, uh, and the murjia, and the jahmiya all have in common as it relates to iman, that iman does not increase and decrease, is one thing. Either you have it all, or you don't have it at all. But the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned Al-Iman Bid'un Wasabaruna O Bid'un Wasituna Shurba A'laha Kaw La Ilaha Illallah Wa Adnaha Imatatul Adha Anat Tariq Wal Hayah Shurbatun Min Al-Iman That Iman is 70 something or 60 something branches The highest branch of Iman is the statement of La Ilaha Illallah The lowest branch is the removal of that which is harmful from the pathway And shyness is from Iman Shyness, number one, to have shyness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, the scholars mentioned having shyness with the malaika because the malaika are harmed by that which the son of Adam is harmed by. Number three, shyness with the people. Protect your integrity. Protect your honor. Have some shyness. And the last, shyness with yourself. But as the Prophet wasallam, he mentioned from that which the people have uh, come across from the statement of the first prophethood, that if you have no shyness, then do as you wish. Meaning that if a person is not shy, he's going to do whatever he wants to do because he has no shyness. The other meaning is that if a person, and a righteous person, this is, this is for the righteous person, if he feels shy to do something, he doesn't sit comfortable with him, then he shouldn't do it. Because his faith is not comfortable or right with that affair. So from the benefits uh, of this narration, that Iman has different aspects and there are different levels of faith. Also, there's nothing wrong with a person having shyness. As a man, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu was selling passed by a man from the Ansar, and he was admonishing his brother due to his shyness, and the Prophet said, iman. Leave him alone, for indeed shyness is from faith. And unfortunately, many of us in our upbringing, we were taught not to be shy. We were taught not to have shyness. What you shy for? Speak your mind. What you, you know, in, in, in our upbringing, in our environment, in the circles that we ran in, took away our shyness. And right now, we find being prevalent, ratchetness and being evil, and like this is this is what is praised. This is what is praised. You know, individuals. Outwardly speaking with even an indecency This is what being a real man is Now in society amongst many people Never lose Your Islamic identity And from the Islamic identity Is having shyness Yes there are things Where shyness is blameworthy Like when it comes to seeking knowledge The scholars they mentioned Shyness when it comes to learning is not shyness, this is stupidity. 
And shyness, when it comes to standing up for the truth, is not shyness. This is cowardice. And if a person may be too shy to ask about something, then send someone to ask on your behalf. Like Ali ibn Abi Talib did when he described himself that he was a person who was medvah and then he had a lot of pre-seminal fluid coming out of his private and he was shy to ask the Prophet directly because he's married to Fatima. So he said he sent Al-Migdad to ask on his behalf. So yes, he was shy himself to ask, but he wasn't shy to send someone to ask. So his shyness did not prevent him from learning. And as was mentioned about the woman of the Ansar, how they were a blessed woman and good woman because they did not let shyness prevent them from learning their deed. Shyness is a praiseworthy characteristic when, it, when it's within the legislative boundaries. And shyness is from the actions of the heart. That's the origin of it. And then it comes out in one's speech or in one's actions. And the prophet was described as being more shy than a virgin than the inner uh, parts of her home. SubhanAllah. And the prophet is the bravest of the men. He had, look at how he was described as being the bravest of the people, but yet he was still more shy than a virgin who's in the inner parts of her home. The balance and the beauty of the character of the prophet sallallahu Now, the next narration Anabi Mas'ud al-Badri Uqba ibn Amr Qal qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Inna mimma adraka al-nas min kalam al-nabuwa Iza lam tastahi fasna ma'ashidi We covered something from this narration uh, just previously. Indeed, from uh, from that which the people have reached or come across from the speech of the first prophethood is that when you have no shyness, do as you wish. Uh, some scholars say the, the, what is meant by the first prophethood, meaning Adam alayhi salam. This is something that was from the speech of Adam alayhi salam. And others, they say, meaning this is something that all of the prophets were united upon. As it relates to, if you have no shyness, then do as you wish. But again, just another narration establishing uh, the importance of having uh, shyness. And that shyness is from the characteristics of Iman, it is from the characteristics of prophethood. Next narration on Abi Hurairah radiallahu an qal qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-mu'minu al-qawiyyu khayrun wa ahabbu ila Allah min al-mu'min al-da'if wa fi kullin khayr ihris ala ma yanfa'uka wa sta'in billah wa la ta'jis wa in asabaka shay'un fala taqul law anni fa'altu kadha wa kadha walakin qul qadarallahu wa ma sha'a fa'ala You have one read Qadr Allah. Now, well, I can call Qadr Allah, he, or Masha Afala, or Qadr Allah, who, 
وما شاء فعل فإن فإن لو تفتح عمل الشيطان uh, this narration is on the authority of Abu Hurairah that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said that the strong believer is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer but in both of them there is good and be diligent in doing that which benefits you seek refuge I mean seek the aid and help with Allah and do not be incompetent and if something before you do not say if only I had done such and such and such and such then such and such can or kether or kether then such and such and such and such would have happened rather say the decree of Allah whatever he wills he does or Allah has decreed Allah has decreed and whatever he wills he does for the statement if only I had done such and such opens up the door to the shaitan well here this shows this narration is a refutation against the murjia as well as the khawarij because it shows that the believers are on different levels the strong believer is better than the weak believer everybody's not on the same level of faith may Allah make us from amongst the strong believers Amen. but the strong believer is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer this also establishes that Allah loves which is a refutation against the Jahmiyyah, the Mu'tazila the people of deviation who deny the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the strong believer is better. Strong believer here means the one who is strong in faith. It doesn't mean the one who could do the most push-ups or the one who could do the most reps on the bar. Right? That's nice. We need brothers to be physically strong and we should take care of ourselves and work out and be in shape and be fit. Because you never know when duty, when, when duty calls. You never, you never know. So we can't be huffing and puffing, you know, when duty calls and we trying to protect the sisters that we won't fall on the floor now the sister's protecting us. Get off the brother, you know. <laughs> we all out of breath and out of shape. We get our behinds kicked and they got to get the people off of us, right? No, but we should be... And here's the proof of, of, the, of what I'm saying. One of the benefits the scholars mentioned why the Prophet told the Sahaba to show their arms when going around the Kaaba was to put fear in the hearts of the polytheists who were standing there watching the Muslims so that they could see the muscles and the strength of the, the physical strength of the Muslims. This was the, this was the reason for that. So that they can see the arms and the, the biceps and, and the Muslims going around, you know, those first three rounds, you know, and they see, man, these guys, they're they not playing. You know, that was for that. The, you know, the prophet was strategic, you know. You can't, you know, can't just be salat, you know. So of course, our, our main strength definitely comes from our iman and our worship, but physical strength also is, is important. But here, the strong believer meaning the one who is strong in his iman, the one who is strong in his aqidah, the one who is strong in his certainty in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This individual is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer. The one who is strong in his practice of Islam, he's better than the weak believer. <coughs> but in both there's good. Even the weak believer, the sinful Muslim, still has some good in him. And this is a refutation against the khawarij because they make takfir 
of Muslims who fall into major sins, and some even say any sin. Whereas the Prophet said there's still some good in the weak believer. So look at the balance of Islam and the fairness of Islam. Look at the story when Abdullah, whose nickname was Himar, he used to drink. And they would bring him and he would be beat and punished to the time where one companion said, like, you know, how much you have been bought for this crime of drinking. May Allah curse you. And the Prophet reprimanded him. He said, La tal'anhu, don't curse him. For indeed he loves Allah and his messenger. He has a problem. He has a drinking problem. That doesn't mean he hates Allah and his messenger. He has love for Allah and his messenger. But this is his this is this is his problem. This is his issue. This is his weakness. And he said, Don't aid the shaitan against your brother. And Abdullah bin Masbur has a similar statement that if you see your brother indulging in the sin, make dua for afiyah. And don't curse him. Don't say, may Allah ruin you. May Allah destroy you in the likes. Don't aid the shaitan against your brother. And yet, look what we find people doing. With their brothers from Ahl Sunnah because we may disagree over matter. May Allah break your back. You're saying this to another person who's upon the same methodology of you just to disagree with you over an issue because he doesn't pray in your master he prays in another master of the people of the sun may Allah break your back is this not eating the shaitan against your brother or brothers making dua against a masjid that's known for the sunnah let's just say the imam made a mistake Okay, that warrants you making the dua against the entire community? Is this not extremism? Is this not from the ways of the Haddadis and people get upset and say, oh, Haddadi, okay, look what you're doing. You're making dua against a whole community. May Allah break the back as if the people or people out of the bid'ah or their kuffar of it or not. But they don't hear me. This narration establishes, number one, it encourages the Muslims to be strong and upon strong faith. So the Prophet, he mentioned, be diligent in doing that which would benefit you. And you don't waste your time with things that do not bring about benefit. Our time is too precious, Ikhwan. Our lives are too precious. We don't have time to waste. Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim, he mentioned, ashaddu min al Waste and time is more severe than death. Waste and time is more severe than death because death only cuts you off from the life of this world, whereas waste and time cuts you off from Allah. So seek help with Allah and do not be incompetent. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the greatest of those who can aid us. So we should never be incompetent to ask Allah for help. But along with asking Allah Azzawajal for help and support, we have to put in the work. We have to embark upon the means. We don't just make dua, oh Allah help us, but we do what we can of actions to put ourselves in a position 
to receive the help. And for one of the things that we must do is make toba. Make toba for our sins and remove any of the obstacles that will prevent our du'as from being answered and other than not. And if something befalls you, then do not say if only I did such and such and such and such, then such and such and such and such would have happened. Meaning we accept the decree of Allah. But that doesn't mean use the decree of Allah as an excuse of why we committed sin. This is from the way of the polytheists and the disbelievers and Iblis. My Lord, because you have led me astray. He the one who disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Never, the qadr is not an excuse to commit sin. We do something wrong, we have to wear that. We have to own that. We have to make tawbah. We can't say, well, that's what Allah decreed. And of course, we know the story of the man coming to Umar ibn Khattab or being presented to him for stealing. And when he went to cut off his hand, he said, Wait, O Amir al-Mu'mineen, I only stole by the qadr of Allah. And he said, And we will cut your hand off also by the qadr of Allah. <laughs> so the point is that if something happens to us, especially from those things that are outside of our control, we accept the decree of Allah. Qadr Allah wa ma is what Allah has decreed. And whatever he wills, he does. And we know that Allah decrees things as a means of testing our faith. And to see if we're going to either be grateful when Allah gives us something of good, or are we going to be patient when Allah tests us with something of hardship. For indeed the statement, if, opens up the door to shaitan, meaning it opens up the door for a person to deny the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it. All right. Last, last, last narration, please. <laughs> now, these, these, these narrations are beautiful. Allah, the Sunnah of the Prophet is beautiful. The last narration is on the authority of Iyad ibn Himar. Qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Inna Allah ta'ala awha ilayya anta wadu'u Hatta la yabghiya ahadun ala ahad Wa la yafkhar ahadun ala ahad Iyad ibn Himar radiallahu anhi mentioned That the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He stated Indeed Allah has revealed to me That you should be humble that the people should be humble in order that no one transgresses the boundaries against another and in order that no one boasts over another. This narration establishes the virtues of being humble, at-tawadur. And at-tawadur, Sheikh Salih Fawzan says, huwa adamul kibr being humble means not being arrogant and haughty over the people. Like you don't see yourself as being over the people or you're better than the people. Be humble. The Prophet Muhammad in the beginning of the affair, 
if someone came to Medina to see him, they wouldn't be able to tell who was the prophet when he was sitting amongst the people until they had like made for him like a sitting to where when you come, okay, you know, that's the prophet but other than that, he fit in with the people. You couldn't tell the difference between him and the people. So the prophet his character was that of humbleness. And this narration also establishes why people violate people. Why people transgress the boundaries against others because they think they're better. They think they're better. They think, they think they're on something that the person is not upon. And you see what's happening where people approaching Muslims and threatening them and the likes and being arrogant and boastful with them because they think they're better. Believe it, they think they're better. They think their minhaj is better, their aqila is better, their practice of Islam is better, this person is a straight, that we are, we are on it, you all are off it. What would you think make people say things about people and describing them as being, because they think that they are better. The lack of humbleness. And as the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned, Whoever has the smallest amount of arrogance in his heart will not enter into paradise. A man said, O Messenger of Allah, indeed the person likes for his garment to be nice and his footwear to be nice. The Prophet said, Inna Allah jamal. Allah is beautiful and He loves beauty. However, arrogance is rejecting the truth and looking down upon the people. Be humble. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu that we are to be humble. And this is in order to prevent us from transgressing the boundaries against other Muslims. The lack of humbleness leads, in, leads Muslims to violating other Muslims. The lack of humbleness leads Muslims to think that they are better than other Muslims. And Allah mentions, Indeed, the best of you the most honorable of you with Allah are those of you who have the most taqwa. It has nothing to do with what masjid you attend. That doesn't mean you're better than another Muslim because you go to a specific masjid. It doesn't mean it because you can go to that masjid and another Muslim who doesn't go to the masjid or any affiliated masjid is better than you with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can go to that masjid and you're a drug dealer. Another Muslim doesn't go to that masjid, alhamdulillah, he doesn't sell drugs, his, his money is halal. You can go to that masjid, you're a wife beater. Another Muslim goes to another masjid and he doesn't hit his wife. And the list goes on. You can go to one of those masjids and yet you're touching on little boys. Molesting girls. Another person goes to another masjid that's not affiliated with that masjid or that masjid specifically and doesn't indulge in those things. So just because you are a member at a certain masjid, that doesn't automatically mean you better than other Muslims. 
Allah didn't tie being the best of the Muslims to a specific masjid or a specific sheikh. The matter is tied to taqwa. Indeed, the most honorable of you with Allah are those who have the most taqwa. The benefits from this narration, the obligation of being humble, and the prohibition of being arrogant. The obligation of being humble, the prohibition of violating other Muslims. Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimuna min nisanihi wa yadihi. Basic, fundamental Islam. The Muslim is the one who other Muslims are safe from his tongue and hand. From the benefits of this narration, that the absence of humbleness leads people to, to make mockery and boast and, and be, and be uh, bragging that they are better than other Muslims. And never should a Muslim be behaving in this manner towards his brother. As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, كُلُّ الْمُسْلِمِ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِ حَرَامِ دَمُهُ وَمَالُهُ وَعِرْضُهُ Every Muslim is sacred to another Muslim, his blood, his property, and his honor. That is the origin. You have no right to violate your brother, threaten your brother, transgress the boundaries against your brother without something legislated. Inshallah Ta'ala will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala alone. And whatever is incorrect, it is from myself. وَسُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ بِحَمْدِكَ شَادُوا وَلَا إِلَهَ إِلَا أَنْتَ اسْتَغْفِرُكَ وَأَنْتُ جَزَاكُمُ اللَّهُ خَيْرًا خَانٌ